Welcome back to Uvula Audio's Magical Monarch of Mo. The eighth surprise. The bravery of Prince Jolikin. There is no country so delightful but that it suffers some disadvantages. And so it was with the Valley of Mo. At times the good people were obliged to leave their games and sports to defend themselves against a foe or some threatened disaster. But there was one danger they never suspected, which at last came upon them very suddenly. Away at the eastern end of the valley was a rough plain, composed entirely of loaf sugar covered with boulders of rock candy, which were piled up in great masses, reaching nearly to the foot of the mountains, and containing many caves and recesses. The people seldom came here, as there was nothing to tempt them, the rock candy being very hard and difficult to walk on. In one of the great hollows formed by the rock candy lived a monstrous jigaboo, completely shut in by the walls of its cavern. It had been growing and growing for so many years that it had attained an enormous size. For fear that you may not know what a jigaboo is, I shall describe one. Its body was round like that of a turtle, and on its back was a thick shell. From the center of the body rose a long neck, much like that of a goose, with a most horrible-looking head perched on top of it. This head was round as a ball, and had four mouths on the side of it, and seven eyes set in a circle, and projecting several inches from the head. The jigaboo walked on ten short but thick legs, and in front of its body were two long arms tipped with claws like those of a lobster. So sharp and strong were these claws that the creature could pinch a tree in two easily. Its eyes were remarkably bright and glittering, one being red in color, another green, and the others yellow, blue, black, purple, and crimson. It was a dreadful monster to see. Only no one had yet seen it, for it had grown up in the confinement of its cave. But one day the Jigaboo became so big and strong that in turning around it broke down the walls of the cavern, and finding itself at liberty, the monster walked out into the lovely valley of Mo to see how much evil it could do. The first thing the Jigaboo came upon was a large orchard of preserved apricots, and after eating a great quantity of the preserves, it willfully cut off the trees with its sharp claws and utterly ruined them. Why the Jigaboo should have done this, I cannot tell, but scientists say these creatures are by nature destructive and love to ruin everything they come across. One of the people being in the neighborhood came upon the monster and witnessed its terrible deeds, whereupon he ran in great terror to tell the king that the Jigaboo was on them and ready to destroy the entire valley. Although no one had ever before seen a Jigaboo or even heard of one, the news was so serious that in a short time the king and many of his people came to the place where the monster was, all having hastily armed themselves with swords and spears. But when they saw the Jigaboo, they were afraid, and stood gazing at it in alarm, without knowing what to do or how to attack it. Who among us can hope to conquer this great beast? asked the king in dismay. Yet something must be done, or soon we shall not have a tree left standing in all the valley of Mo. 
The people looked at one another in a frightened way, but no one volunteered his services or offered to advise the monarch what to do. At length, Prince Jollikin, who had been watching the monster earnestly, stepped forward and offered to fight the Jigaboo alone. In a matter of his kind, he said, one man is as good as a dozen, so you will all stand back while I see where the beast can best be attacked. Is your sword sharp? asked his father, the king, anxiously. It was the sharpest on the tree, replied the prince. If I fail to kill the monster, at least it cannot kill me, although it may cause me some annoyance. At any rate, our trees must be saved, so I will do the best I can. With this manly speech, he walked straight toward the Jigaboo, which, when it saw him approaching, raised and lowered its long neck and twirled its head around, so that all the seven eyes might get a glimpse of its enemy. Now you must remember when you read what follows, that no inhabitant of the Valley of Mo can ever be killed by anything. If one is cut to pieces, the pieces will still live. And although this seems strange, you will find, if you ever go to this queer valley, that it is true. Perhaps it was the knowledge of this fact that made Prince Jollikin so courageous. If I can but manage to cut off that horrible head with my sword, he thought, the beast will surely die. So the prince rushed forward and made a powerful stroke at its neck, but the blow fell short and cut off instead one of the Jigaboo's ten legs. Quick as lightning, the monster put out a claw and nipped the prince's arm which held the sword, cutting it from its body. As the sword fell, the prince caught it in his other hand and struck again, but the blow fell on the beast's shell and did no harm. The Jigaboo, now very angry, at once nipped off the prince's left arm with one of its claws, and his head with the other. The arm fell on the ground, and the head rolled down a little hill behind some bonbon bushes. The prince, having lost both his arms and his head as well, now abandoned the fight and turned to run, knowing it would be folly to resist the monster further. But the Jigaboo gave chase, and so swiftly did its nine legs carry it, that soon it overtook the prince and nipped off both his legs. Then, its seven eyes flashing with anger, the Jigaboo turned toward the rest of the people as if seeking a new enemy. But the brave men of Mo, seeing the sad plight of their prince and being afraid of the awful nippers on the beast's claws, decided to run away, which they did uttering as they went loud cries of terror. But had they looked back, they might not have gone so far so fast. For when the Jigaboo heard the cries, in turn it became frightened, having been accustomed all its life to silence, so that it rushed back to its cavern of rock candy and hid itself among the boulders. When Prince Jollikin's head stopped rolling, he opened his eyes and looked about him, but could see no one, for the people and the Jigaboo had now gone. So, being unable to move, he decided to lie quietly for a time, and this was not a pleasant thing for an active young man like the prince to do. To be sure, he could wiggle his ears a bit and wink his eyes, but that was the extent of his powers. After a few minutes, because he had a cheerful disposition and wished to keep himself amused, he began to whistle a popular song, and then, becoming interested in the tune, he whistled it over again with variations. The prince's left leg, lying a short distance away, heard his whistle, and recognizing the variations, at once ran up to the head. 
Well, said the prince, here is a part of me at any rate. I wonder where the rest of me can be. Just then, hearing the sound of his voice, the right leg ran up to the head. Where is my body? asked the prince, but the legs did not know. Pick up my head and place it on top of my legs, continued the prince. Then, with my eyes and your feet, we can hunt around until we find the rest of me. Obeying this command, the legs took the head and started off, and perhaps you can imagine how funny the prince's head looked, perched upon his legs with neither body nor arms. After a careful search, they found the body lying upon the ground at the foot of a shrimp salad tree. But nothing more could be done without the arms, so they next searched for those, and having discovered them, the legs kicked them to where the body lay. The arms now took the head from the legs and put the legs on the body where they belonged. Then the right arm stuck the left arm in its place, after which the left arm picked up the right arm and placed it also where it belonged. Then all that remained was for the prince to place his head on his shoulders, and there he was, as good as new. He picked up his sword and was feeling himself all over to see if he was put together correctly, when he chanced to look up and saw the Jigaboo again coming toward him. The beast had recovered from its fright, and tempted by its former success, again ventured forth. However, Prince Jollikin did not intend to be cut to pieces a second time. He quickly climbed a tree and hid himself among the branches. Presently, the Jigaboo came to the tree and reached its head up to eat a cranberry tart. Quick as a flash, the prince swung his sword downward, and so true was his stroke that he cut off the monster's head with ease. Then the Jigaboo rolled over onto its back and died, for wild and ferocious beasts may be killed in Mo as well as in other parts of the world. Having vanquished his enemy, Prince Jollikin climbed down from the tree and went to tell the people that the Jigaboo was dead. When they heard this joyful news, they gave their prince three cheers and loved him better than ever for his bravery. The king was so pleased that he presented his son with a tin badge set with diamonds, on the back of which was engraved the picture of the Jigaboo. Although Prince Jollikin was glad to be the hero of his nation and enjoyed the triumph of having been able to conquer his ferocious enemy, he did not escape some inconvenience, for as a result of his adventure he found himself very stiff in the joints for several days after his fight with the Jigaboo. The Ninth Surprise The Wizard and the Princess Within the depths of the mountains which bordered the valley of Mo to the east lived a wicked wizard in a cavern of rubies. It was many, many feet below the surface of the earth and cut off entirely from the rest of the world save for one passage which led through the dangerous caves and tunnels on top of the highest mountain. So that in order to get out of his cavern, the wizard was obliged to come to this mountain top and from there descend to the outside world. The wizard lived all alone, but he did not mind that, for his thoughts were always on his books and studies, and he seldom showed himself on the surface of the earth, but when he did go out, everyone laughed at him. For this powerful magician was no taller than my knee, and was very old and wrinkled, so that he looked comical indeed beside an ordinary human. The wizard was nearly as sensitive as he was wicked, 
and was sorry he had not grown as big as other people, so the laughter that always greeted him made him angry. At last he determined to find some magical compound that would make him grow bigger. He shut himself up in his cave and searched diligently among his books until finally he found a formula recommended by some dead-and-gone magician, assured to make anyone grow a foot each day so long as the doses were taken. Most of the ingredients were easy to procure, being such as spiders' livers, kerosene oil, and the teeth of canary birds, mixed together in a boiling cauldron. But the last item of the recipe was so unusual that it made the wizard scratch his head in perplexity. It was the big toe of a young and beautiful princess. The wizard thought on the matter for three days, but nowhere could he think of a young and beautiful princess who would willingly part with her big toe, even that he might grow to be as big as he wished. Then, as such a thing was not to come by honestly, the wicked wizard resolved to steal it. So he went through all the caves and passages until he came to the mountain top. Standing on the point of a rock, he placed one hand on his chin and the other on the back of his neck, and then recited the following magical incantation. I wish to go to steal the big toe of a princess I know in order to grow quite big and so I'll change to a crow. No sooner had he spoken the words than he changed into a black crow and flew away into the valley of Mo, where he hid himself in a tall tree that grew near the king's palace. That morning as the princess Truella was lying late in bed with one of her dainty pink feet sticking out from under the covers, in through the window fluttered a black crow, which picked off her big toe and immediately flew away with it. The princess awoke with a scream and was horrified to find her beautiful foot ruined by the loss of her biggest toe. When the king and queen and the princes and princesses, having heard her outcry, came running in to see what was the matter, they each and all were very indignant at the theft. But search as they might, nowhere could they find the audacious black crow, nor the princess's toe, and the whole court was in despair. Finally, Tim Tom, who was now a prince, suggested that Truella might seek assistance from the kind sorcerer Maeta, who had helped him out of his own difficulties. The princess thought well of this idea, and determined to undertake a journey to the castle. She whistled for her favorite stork, and soon the great bird came to her side. It was pure white and of extraordinary size. When the stork had been saddled, the princess kissed her father and mother goodbye and seated herself on the bird's neck. It instantly rose into the air and flew away toward the castle of Maeta. Traveling in this pleasant way, high in the air, the princess crossed the river of needles and the deep gulf and the dangerous wood, and at last was set down safe at the castle gates. Maeta welcomed the pretty princess very cordially, and, on being told of her misfortune, at once agreed to assist her. So the sorceress consulted her oracle, which told her truly anything she wanted to know. And then she said to the princess, Your toe is in possession of the wicked wizard, who lives in the ruby cave under the mountains. In order to recover it, you must go yourself to seek it. But I warn you that the wizard will put every obstacle in your path, 
to prevent your finding the toe and taking it back from him. Oh dear, exclaimed Truella. I am afraid that I shall never be able to get my toe back from such a horrible man. Have courage and trust in me, returned Mietta, for I believe my powers are stronger than his. I shall furnish you with the weapons you must use to overcome him. Here is a magic umbrella, and in this basket, which you must carry on your arm, you will find a lump of putty, an iron ball, a mirror, a package of chewing gum, and a magic veil, all of which will be very useful. Here also is a winged dagger, with which you must protect yourself if the wizard attempts to harm you. With these enchanted weapons and a brave heart, I believe you will succeed. So kiss me, my child, and start on your journey. Truella thanked the kind sorceress, and mounting the saddle of her stork, flew away toward the high mountain in which dwelt the wicked wizard. But the naughty man, by means of his black magic, saw her coming, and sent such a fierce wind to blow against her that it prevented the stork from making any headway through the air. Therefore, in spite of his huge wings and remarkable strength, the brave bird was unable to get an inch near the mountain. When Truella saw this, she put up the umbrella and held it in front of the stork, whereupon, being shielded from the wind, he flew easily to the mountain. The princess now dismounted, and looking into the hole at the top of the mountain, discovered a flight of stairs leading downward. Taking her basket on her arm, as she had been directed, Truella walked boldly down the stairs, until she came to a door. But then she shrank back in fright, for before the door was coiled a great serpent, not quite a mile long, and fully as large around as a stick of wood. The girl knew she must manage in some way to overcome this terrible creature, so when the serpent opened its mouth and raised its head to bite her, she reached into the basket and finding the lump of putty, threw it quickly into the serpent's mouth. The creature snapped its jaws together so suddenly that its teeth stuck fast in the putty, and this made it so furious that it wriggled around until it had tied itself into a hard knot and could wriggle no longer. Seeing there was no further danger, the princess passed the door and entered a large cave, which was but dimly lit. While she paused to allow her eyes to become accustomed to the darkness so that she might find her way, a faint rustling sound reached her ears, and a moment later there came toward her a hideous old woman, lean and bent, with wrinkled face and piercing black eyes. She had only one tooth, but that was of enormous size, being nearly as big as the tusk of an elephant, and it curved out of her mouth and down under her chin, where it ended in a very sharp point. Her fingernails were a foot long, and they also were very sharp and strong. "'What are you doing here?' asked the old woman in a harsh voice, while she moved her horrible fingers, as if about to scratch out Truella's eyes. "'I came to see the wizard,' said the princess calmly. And if you will allow me to pass, I shall give you in return for the favor some delicious chewing gum. Chewing gum? croaked the old woman. What's that? It is a dainty of which all ladies are very fond, replied Truella, taking the packet from her basket. This is it. The old woman hesitated a moment and then said, Well, I'll try the chewing gum and see what it's like. 
There'll be plenty of time to scratch out your eyes afterwards. She placed the gum in her mouth and tried to chew it. But when she shut her jaws together, the great tusk went straight through her neck and came out the back. The old hag gave a scream, put up her hands to pull out the tusk again, but so great was her excitement that in her haste she scratched out both her own eyes and could no longer see where the princess was standing. So Trurella ran through the cave and came to a door, on which she knocked. Instantly it flew open, and before her she saw another cave, this time brightly lit, but filled with knives and daggers, which were flying about in every direction. To enter this cave was impossible, for the princess saw she would immediately be pierced by dozens of sharp daggers. So she hesitated for a time, not knowing how to proceed, but chancing to remember her basket, she took from it the iron ball, which she tossed into the center of the cave of daggers. At once the dangerous weapons began to strike against the ball, and as soon as they touched it, they were broken and fell to the floor. In a short time, every one of the knives and daggers had been spoiled by contact with the iron ball, and Truella passed safely through the cave and came to another long stairway leading downward. At the bottom of this, she reached the third cave, and came upon a terrible monster. It had the body of a zebra, the legs of a rhinoceros, the neck of a giraffe, the head of a bulldog, and three corrugated tails. The monster at once began to growl and run toward her, showing its terrible teeth and lashing its three tails. The princess snatched the mirror from her basket. And as the creature came toward her, she held the glittering surface before its eyes. It gave one look into the mirror and fell lifeless at her feet, being frightened to death by its own reflection in the mirror. Truella now walked through several more caves and descended a long flight of stairs, which brought her to another door, on which a sign read, A Wizard, Esquire. Office hours from 10.45 until a quarter to 11. The princess, knowing that she had now reached the den of the wizard, who had stolen her big toe, knocked boldly on the door. Come in, called a voice. Truella obeyed and found herself in a large cave, the walls of which were lined with rubies. In each of the four corners were big electric lights, and these, shining upon the rubies, filled the cave with a deep red glow. The wizard himself sat at his desk in one of the corners, and when the princess entered, he looked up and exclaimed, What? Is it you? Really, I did not expect to see you. How did you manage to pass the guards I placed within the caves and passageways to prevent your coming here? Oh, that was not difficult, answered Truella. For you must know I am protected by a power stronger than your own. The wizard was much annoyed at this reply, for he knew it was true and that only by cunning could he hope to still oppose the pretty princess. He resolved not to give up the big toe unless obliged to, for it was necessary to complete the magic compound. What do you want? he asked after a moment's thought. I want the toe you stole from me while I was asleep. The wizard knew it was useless to deny the theft, so he replied, Very well, take a chair, I'll see if I can find it. But Truella feared the little man was deceiving her, so when he turned his back, she took the magic veil from her basket and threw it over her head. Immediately it began unfolding until it covered her completely from head to toe. The wizard walked over to a cupboard 
which he opened, and while pretending to search for the toe, he suddenly turned on a big faucet that was concealed under a shelf. At once the thunder rolled, the lightning flashed, and from the arched ceiling of the cavern, drops of fire began to fall, coming thicker and thicker, until a perfect shower of burning drops filled the room. These fell hissing upon Truella's veil, but could not penetrate it, for they all bounded off and were scattered upon the rocky floor, where they soon burnt themselves out. Seeing this, the wizard gave a sigh of disappointment, and turned off the faucet when the fire drops ceased to fall. Please excuse the interruption, he said as if he had not been the cause of it himself. I'll find the toe in a few minutes. I must have mislaid it somewhere. But Truella suspected he was up to more mischief and was on her guard. She saw him stealthily press a button, and in the same instant a deep gulf opened in the floor of the cave, halfway between the princess and the wizard. Truella at first did not know what this meant, unless it was to prevent her from getting across the room to where her toe was. But soon she noticed that the gulf was moving toward her, slowly but steadily. And as it extended across the cave from wall to wall, it would in time be sure to reach the spot where she stood, when she would of course fall into it. When she saw her danger, the princess became frightened, and tried to escape through the door by which she had entered. But to her dismay she found it locked. Then she turned to look at the wizard. The little man had perched himself upon a high stool, and was carelessly swinging his feet and laughing with glee at Truella's awful peril. He thought that at last he had certainly found a way to destroy her. The poor princess again looked into the gulf, which was gradually getting nearer and nearer, and she shuddered at its vast depths. A cold wind began to sweep up from the abyss and she heard mocking laughter and savage growls from below, as if evil spirits were eagerly waiting to seize her. Just as she was giving way to despair, the gulf had crept very close to her feet. Truella thought of her winged dagger. She drew it from her bosom, and pointing it toward her enemy, said, Save me from the wizard's art. Fly until you reach his heart. Foil his power and set me free. This is my command to thee. In a flash, the dagger flew from her hand and struck the wizard full on his breast. With a loud cry, he fell forward into the gulf, which in the same instant closed up with a crash. Then, when the rocks about her had ceased trembling from shock, the door swung open, leaving the princess at liberty to go where she pleased. She now searched the wizard's cupboard until she found her toe, which had been safely hidden in a little ivory box. Truella stopped only long enough to put on her toe, and then she ran through the caves and up the stairways until she reached the top of the mountain again. There she found her stork patiently awaiting her, and having seated herself on its back, she rode safely and triumphantly back to her father's palace. The king and queen were delighted when she recounted to them the success of her adventure, but they shuddered when they learned of the fearful dangers their sweet little daughter had encountered. It seems to me, said the good queen, that big toy is scarcely worth all the trouble you have had in recovering it. Perhaps not, replied the princess thoughtfully. But a big toe is very handy to have when you wish to dance. And after all, I succeeded in destroying the wicked wizard, which surely repays me for the trials I have been forced to undergo.